Recording in progress. Good evening. I'd like to call to order the July 6th regular Planning Commission meeting. First item is roll call, Ms. Hoeksma. Commissioner Brinson? Here. Commissioner Callahan? Here. Commissioner Lynn? Present. Commissioner Mosier? Here. Vice Chair Walmashonje? Present. Chair Sager? Here. Thank you. And Commissioner Galuska is absent with notice. Great. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, next item is approval of the agenda. Does anybody wish to make any changes? All right. Agenda is approved. Approval of the minutes from June 15th meeting. Any changes there? Great. Uh, that brings us to general public comment. Ms. Hoeksma, is there anybody signed up for general public comment tonight? No, there's not. Thank right. you. Thank you. All right, moving right along, we are to our study item, which is the 2024 to 2029 PROSA plan, comprehensive plan element discussion. Good evening. My name is Jacob Bilbo. I'm the Proza Plan Project Manager with the City of Shoreline. Uh, joining me tonight is Nick Bohr. He's a Park Fleet and Facilities Manager with the City of Shoreline. He's going to be in a supportive role tonight in case we need him. Um, I'm also joined by Tom Beckwith with Beckwith Consulting Group. He's a technical consultant for the Proza Plan. It's not advancing. Oh, down in the bottom corner? Down in the bottom corner. Okay, I'll do it that way. Oh, yeah, I just got it right there. Okay, sorry. It is now, yeah. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so in April, um, when we last came to the commission, we explained the PROSA plan methodology, including how we divided um, the public engagement and technical work between consultants. And then we laid out a roadmap to project completion. Uh, so tonight we'll be updating the commission on the work that we've done to date, um, which includes a summary of the engagement data that was conducted by Stefferson and Associates. Um, so Tom will be giving you a, a high level summary of that and some, some of the major takeaways that we saw. Um, I'll be going through the parks and recreation elements of the comp plan. And then finally, Tom will be taking us through um, some of the draft maps that we've been working on as well. Um, as we move forward, we're gonna continue to update the Planning Commission um, as City Council and the uh, Parks Board. We'll be coming to the Planning Commission one more time in October to uh, review our second draft of the document. Um, we'll be coming back to council several more times this year um, to review uh, the first and second drafts and finally to adopt the PROSA plan in November and then uh, I'll be submitting the document to the state in December. Um, so before I move on, I just wanna mention that we have 
quite a few slides, so in the interest of time, um, I think we're going to move through rather quickly at a high level, so if there's anything that you'd like us to pause on, um, please let us know, but I want to have ample time for discussion. Um, and I also want to point out that we would really like your input on, uh, in particular, the Parks and Rec uh, comp plan goals and policies. So um, that's what we'll be asking for your guidance tonight. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Tom. Uh, on the left is the projection of your population. Uh, I'm going to turn that so I can see what the numbers are. Now, these are based on your current comprehensive plan. As your comprehensive plan gets updated, these numbers are likely to change. Uh, but you can see that there's a, a growth projected, kind of a steady growth, from about 2020 to about 2050. On the right are a projection of what we think your age um, concentrations would be. The blue bars are what, what your age groups were from, you can see, the bottom from 0 to 4 to 85 plus at the top. Blue bar was in 2010. The red bars are what we think you will be in 2050 if your aging profile continues consistent with what you've developed so far and consistent with what we're seeing in King County and the nation at large. So you can see you're going to have more people above the ages of 55 and 60 than you're going to have down in what we call the, the uh, childbearing family ages. And that's going to have significant impacts on your recreation and on your housing requirements. This is just a, a simple comparison of your characteristics versus King County. You can see your average household size is still larger, 2.52 to King County's 2.40, because you've concentrated what we call middle families, families above the age of 30, at least for the adults, and they still have children in the household. But your median age is a little higher, 41.7. The percent 65 plus is a little higher at 19%. The percent households and families, however, is 66%. That means that, as I said, middle families, you still have family households, even as your um, population is aging. Your median per capita income is lower than, say, King County because you have larger households than they do, and, and potentially a few less working adults. Your median house value is still lower. Your median rent is still slightly lower. Owners pay more than 35% of income for housing, what we call housing stressed. You're at 24%, just slightly larger than King County, but look at your, uh, what that is for renters, 48% significantly housing stressed in order to rent in your uh, community. Your um, population speaks language other than English is just slightly lower than King County. Next, please. But in summary, you're a middle family-oriented community right now but you have older adults, including a concentration over 65, and possible empty nester transitions, households without children. Empty nester may be two adults, or significantly over time, it'll be one adult. You're significant housing stressed, particularly renters, and you have a sizable, though, non-English speaking households, and those are the characteristics that we're using to project your recreation needs and demands. Next, please. I think it's back to you now. Okay, yeah. Um, one thing I want to point out as well, uh, another implication that's not listed here, um, the fact that Shoreline has uh, a lower median income than King County could infer that uh, future bond or levy measures would have a little more difficulty uh, being passed with less expendable income. So I just wanted to mention that.
All right, uh, moving on. Um, so we've been working on the comp plan uh, required elements for park and recreation. Um, when reevaluating these, uh, we've looked closely at the city's commitment to anti-racism, equity, and social justice. I lost my place here, excuse me. Um, we also um, have included art. This is a PROSA plan, so there's an art element now, so we want to make sure that's reflected in the uh, goals and policies. Um, we also integrated two existing goals, which I'll point out uh, in a little while. Um, we've also notably removed the implementation steps. So the plan is to have strategic action initiatives aligned with these goals and policies. So the SAIs will be linked in the plan to these goals, and the goals are very high level, but will be distilled down to specific actions in the PROSA plan document. Um, so again, uh, rather than reading through all of these goals and policies, since there's um, quite a few, I'd really like to bring attention to um, the goals and policies that, that have either significant changes or are brand new. And those are also indicated uh, by asterisks. Um, so starting with goal one, preserve, enhance, maintain, and acquire built and natural resources to ensure equitable, high quality access for current and future residents. So goal one is very similar. Um, we've changed some of the language. For example, uh, we've changed facilities to resources. We added equitable and added the words access for current and future residents. So uh, goal one policies uh, 1.1 through 1.4 um, again are very similar. Um, we've just updated some of the language as well, um, but I want to point out that anything that mentions climate or sustainability mirrors what is currently in the climate action plan as well. Um, also point out that we worked uh, very closely with SUNY Tolton, who's the city's diversity and inclusion coordinator, um, to really make sure that we have more meaningful uh, language in the plan. Um, so that's why you'll see a lot more um, diversity and inclusion or um, you know language to that to that point um, again um, goal one policies five through nine uh, very similar um, 1.8, explore opportunities to increase the use of city facilities to meet community needs. Um, this has just been updated slight with, slightly with some language, um, so it's a little bit different than what we currently have. 1.9 is brand new, and that is actually based off of feedback that we got directly from council last Monday. Um, they really wanted to see a goal and or policy that reflected the city's commitment to uh, climate change mitigation as well as conserving trees. So we thought that was best that, to be combined um, in one policy. So goal two, provide park recreation, cultural and art services in an, an accessible and equitable manner based on community needs. Um, this is similar to the current goal, however, we added art and accessibility. 
again, keeping in line with the inclusion of um, art in this new plan. Uh, 2.1 is actually a combination of policies that were pretty similar, so we thought it was best to combine them both together. So 2.1 is provide and enhance recreation and cultural programs, which are responsive to, diverse, to the diverse needs of Shoreline. And uh, 2.3 is virtually a new policy, and that is create culturally responsive and accessible programs that engage community and support active and healthy lifestyles. Goal three, establish and strengthen partnerships with other entities and communities to maximize use of all resources. Again, this is virtually identical to the current goal. Um, goal three policies, um, they've been wordsmithed slightly, but the intent has remained pretty much the same, and that is um, the city's commitment to maintaining public and private partnerships. Goal four, utilize an equity-based framework to engage communities in park, recreation, and cultural services decisions and activities. So this goal is brand new and invite, it combines uh, the current goals two and three. So this is a goal that was articulated uh, previously as engage the community in parks and recreation and cultural services decisions and activities. So we've broadened the language to be equity-based in city decisions and activities, and we've broadened the scope as well. Uh, goal 4.2 is new, and that is utilize effective communication strategies to inform residents of opportunities to participate in services, program, and policy decisions, and other activities. Um, this goal reflects our commitment to community engagement at all levels and throughout, and all throughout the community. And finally, goal five, um, this is a brand new goal and it includes public art in the plan. Um, goal five is expand and strengthen the city's public art collections and programs. Now before I go through goal five policies, I just want to note that some of the policies were taken and modified from the current public arts plan, which was already developed, uh, similar to what we've done um, with the pros plan goals and policies that were already developed. Um, so goal five policies, 5.1, include public art in the city's placemaking efforts. 5.2, support and reflect the city's commitment to anti-racism, equity, and inclusion through public art collections and programs. 5.3, encourage public and private partnerships which integrate and support art in the community. 5.4, support Shoreline's creative economy. 5.5, integrate public art within parks, recreation, and cultural services and the city. And now I'll hand it off to Tom to go through our equity maps. <clears throat> uh, we've mapped the location of schools and parks, but we've also mapped what's called community need or equity-based. So we're looking at uh, characteristics like income and age and disability and so on, see how that stacks up against where your park amenities are located. 
We've also mapped the heat islands. We'll show you what the implication of that is. We will be mapping the tree canopy when we get that information completed. And most important, we're also looking at walkability, the ability to walk to a park from a neighborhood. Generally, as you'll see, we use five and 10 minute walkscapes, as we call them. And last, comparing that with population density. This is uh, one of the first, this is the composite, really. Um, can you scroll down? Let me, let's do the individuals and we'll come back to the composite. Okay, okay with disability. First off, every one of those shaded areas is a census tract. And the uh, consultants working with your transportation plan did a scoring matrix for each characteristic. And for disability, for example, they were looking at the, the number of range of people with disability from the highest number to the lowest number. And those are shown in the, in the low to high scores, uh, colored scores you see in the, in the legend. And then they, they were looking for the numbers within each census tract, the same number ranges. The darker the color, the more disability, uh, the more people with disability in, in that census tract, the lighter the color, the less people in it. And that's overlaid, as you can see, in the green parks and on the purple schools. And you can see at least the disability in the bottom along Highway 99 to I-5 and in the right hand um, east corner, those are the ones with the highest concentration of people with disabilities. Next, please. This is the same thing with median income. You can see it's a little bit more uh, div uh, diverse than the disability. The same issue uh, applies to those with the darkest color. Those are those, those with the highest number of low income concentrations. And you can see these are slightly different census tracts than what disability showed. Next, please. This is those with limited English. Uh, the same thing, the darker the color, the greater the number of people who speak a language other than English. And you can see there is some correlation uh, with income, but not quite. We get a slightly different pattern. Next, please. This is over age 60. Again, the darker color is the, is the percent with the highest number over 60. Now you can see some of the waterfront census tracts are showing up. That's where the older, what you might call middle family to empty nesters is occurring. Uh, but you can also see concentration in the upper right-hand corner. Next, please. This is under 18. It's, a, it's a, not quite a complete opposite of the over 60, but you can see those with a concentration of under 18 are on the east side uh, census tracts. Next, please. Uh, people of color, um, again, this is the percents, the numbers are really not the percents, so the greatest um, non-white population concentrations, and you can see that there's some uh, similarities and some diversity about where they're located. Next, please. Now, go back to the composite. In order to try to get a, a composite ranking, what the transportation consultants did then was take a look at the top scores in each characteristic and then weighted them against each other and increased the weights for certain characteristics like income, uh, disability, um, people of color, and so on. So this composite shows you their composite rankings. You can see there are four areas that end up in the darkest colors. And if you remember what some of the patterns were before, you can see in the right hand um, corner on the east, a concentration in the, on the west in the middle sections, and then a concentration in the bottom south. Now this composite we use for all of our mapping from here on. So we can see where your park amenities line up in comparison to this composite. Now if you go down. 
there. This is the heat index. It's laid over that composite uh, community needs. The darker the color, the hotter that um, environment is during a hot day, more or less. You can see the darkest colors tend to be where there's lots of pavement or lots of buildings. Some of those are shopping areas and some of those are schools. If we were to mitigate those, we'd be looking to put trees in some, as much as possible in the parking areas. We probably can't do too much to the rooftop areas. But in future development, we can require trees and green so uh, soils or biosoils, even green roofs to reduce what this is. But for recreational purposes, you're not gonna want kids and elderly people in those hot red areas, certainly on, on hot days. So that does affect where we place trails and that does affect the kind of uh, recreational amenities that we wanna locate away from those areas unless we can mitigate them. This is a heat index based on today's standards. I would imagine as we're getting hotter that if we're not careful, that's gonna to get to be a lot more really dark red areas. Next, please. This is the high density zoning areas. If you look carefully, there are the hatch lines. This is the densities that go over above what we call single family. You can see the legend on the right gives kind of the, the multifamily residential zones. And then also some of your commercial zones which allow high density residential. And what we're looking here is we're presuming that the occupants of those are gonna be people oriented to light rail. They're probably gonna be uh, young individuals and older individuals without children. And the question is what kind of new park kind of um, attribute we should begin to design for those areas. We wouldn't expect to be putting in very large parks because we're not gonna be able to assemble those kinds of properties. But we're also gonna be looking for what kinds of activities those characteristic households would wanna do. Gathering places for one, green spaces for others, plazas for others. We might connect those off the trails. We might try to associate some, some cases those even with the housing developments if we can joint venture those. Next, please. Now this is, we've mapped every amenity within your system and this is an example of playgrounds. And if you see kind of the icon that shows the playgrounds is kind of dark kids on a swing. The dark orange color is a five minute walk zone from each of those sites. The light yellow is a 10 minute walk zone from those sites. Now in some cases you can see that they're not completely surrounding the park site. And that's because where park sites only have one entrance, the walkability is from that entrance outwards. Uh, and by the way, this walkability is based on existing sidewalks and roads. As your transportation plan materializes, there are probably gonna be some new proposed roads and sidewalks, and of course you wanna keep updating that to see what it does. But we do wanna uh, look at some of those park sites to see if we can have more entrances to it, give more access. You can also see there are gaps, and so we call them gaps, where there aren't playgrounds available for a significant part of the city. We've not yet begun to map where we should locate new facilities, but you can see some of the darker uh, community need areas are without playgrounds. And some of the areas that previously where we said there was a concentration of under 18 kids, we don't have playgrounds. Now, by the way, this is only your sites. It does not include any schools. Right now, you don't have an agreement to, for the schools to be joint use facilities for you. It could change a bit, but also because of the, some of the security concerns, the school districts are not real eager to have people in the districts or on their property after hours or during hours. And that creates a significant um, requirement, at least for you to fill the gaps. And it creates a possibility you may have duplications. Next, please. This is sports courts. We call sports courts basketball, tennis, pickleball, 
volleyball, uh, anything that can be done on a court. And increasingly, in the old days, these were um, dedicated. They either be basketball or nothing else, or they would be handball and nothing else, or they'd be tennis and nothing else. Now we can we look at these courts as asphalt that we can program to do a number of different uses. One of the limitations here, you can see the icons are only single on each of these park sites. They only provide one thing. So what we'll be looking at is diversifying those courts. And you can see we've got significant gaps where there are no access to courts. Now, in some cases, that may not mean buying new park sites. It may be putting this in existing park sites to fill those gaps. Next, please. This is the same thing with athletic fields. And athletic fields are a little difficult to do five and 10 minute walkability because the more competitive the fields get, people drive. What we're looking at is most of the kids that engage in sports ride their bike to practice or walk to practice and that's what we're trying to uh, alleviate. The same thing happens here if you look at, some of the sites have double icons, soccer and uh, baseball where you have only baseball, one of the questions is why can't we put a soccer field in the outfield so we can get as maximum use as we can? Because one of the issues is this is your capacity. You're not gonna be able to create more sites for more fields. So the question is how can you get the most capacity out of that? And we did have a workshop with all the athletic groups and this question was raised and we said, well, how are you gonna respond to that? In essence, they said, we'll have to contain the number of kids that can play to fit what your capacity fields are. So that's going to be an issue. Next, please. This is parks with picnic areas. Uh, and really, the, putting a picnic table is pretty easy. You can put them in any existing park, any public area, and so on. So the question here may be expand the access of where they're located. We can probably solve a lot of the, uh, the gaps just by doing that. Next, please. Uh, one thing I want to point out, there may be 10 other amenities that we've mapped. These are very rough draft. We've got to make sure that the inventory is correct. And once we have, we're comfortable that we know what exists, then the real challenge is going to be how do we solve some of those questions I raised about gaps and access and, and multi-use. Um, so before we get into discussion, I just want to uh, emphasize that one of the biggest points of having these these maps is to have a an up-to-date and um, I guess scientific and accurate way of making strategic decisions. Um, so for example, if the city is trying to decide um, whether to acquire new property or improve a park, we can look at these maps and say, okay, here's the areas with the most need. So let's make that decision using that data. Um, I also want to point out that um, we've been working really closely um, with other departments and to make sure that the data that we're using is consistent among plans. So for example, the Urban Forest Strategic Plan, the TMP, the Comp Plan, the Proza Plan, we wanna make sure that we're all using the same data and that it's all um, up to date and that we're getting the same findings as well. So moving forward, um, we wanna make sure that's accurate. Um, so now um, we'd like to open it up for discussion. Um, we'd really you know, look to you to ask any questions with the Comp Plan goals and policies, any suggestions, anything that we are, um, missing or forgetting about, um, and you know, any questions about uh, the maps as well. So, great, thank you, thank you so much. All right, uh, questions, yes, Commissioner Brinson. 
I have a clarification question on the maps. I saw some of the walksheds go over the border in all the directions. Are we also considering resources that are, you know, in Seattle or Edmonds and that walkshed that over sort of comes into our boundaries as resources? We mapped uh, the parks that are in Seattle and we mapped the parks that are in uh, Edmonds on your border and Lake Forest Park. We have not done the walkabilities on those, but in most cases, they're a little bit beyond what I would say. Yeah, I can't, minutes. I wasn't envisioning whether or not it would be an impact, but it just feels like a, a piece Probably um, Lake Forest Park is not planning any more parks. There's significant areas there where there's just nothing, at least. And we're probably gonna stay that way. Mm -hmm. Seattle is, it has, um, they're in the midst of kind of doing an update to their pros plan right now, very quick summary so they can apply for grants. They're not expecting to acquire anymore either. And in some cases, I think you can see the golf course just below on the, on the east, northeast corner is a golf course they converted into other uses. So there's an opportunity there. Okay. Edmonds is the bulk of their recreational facilities are on the waterfront and their challenge is Highway 99. And their challenge is somewhat similar to yours, even though they don't have light rail, they're seeing an intensification of housing on 99, and how, what kind of parks are they going to provide? Um, and they don't have very many um, acquisition options either. So what I would expect is people will be coming into your territory more than your people going to their territories. Okay, thank you. And unfortunately, the better you make your territory, the more you're going to draw. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, yes, Commissioner Mosher. Thanks. So I guess I'm curious. We you said we were kind of our, we were using our current composition of you know middle kind of family sized families to justify some of what we're doing. But when we looked at that trajectory by 2050, we're saying that we're actually going to be predominantly seniors and childless. So are we going to be mis misproducing or not producing the right amount of parks if it's if we're actually changing if we're planning towards like a middle family, but it's actually going to be more seniors. Well, let me just say, uh, firstly, I, I think that's part of this whole exercise as a plan is, is being able to recognize that early on. And as we continue, um, you know, in between plans, you know, we're not going to update it again for the next six years. Um, the city is going to, is looking at possibly updating, um, you know, this data and rerunning this data, you know, every two years or so. We haven't really specified that yet, but that could um, help us make those changes and adapt um, to those changes. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. Is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah. If you're looking at social composition and what we were describing, uh, your plan is going to be reactive and proactive. Reactive says you're going to react to whatever your trends are, and that's the kind of facilities you're going to develop and so on. Uh, if you continue to be reactive, you're focusing more on what we call youth-oriented parks. If you're being proactive, then you're saying what we put in our parks and in services is going to attract or disattract certain households, and who do we want to be? So one of the changes that's going to affect you significantly is light rail. What kind of households are going to live on light rail? And conversely, what kind of park facilities do you put in those areas that either complement what you expect it to be or create the kind of opportunity you want it to be? So you see it's, it's an iterative process. What we showed you is just a simple projection of what is, not necessarily what you want to be. That answer your question? Mm -hmm. okay. Thank you. Commissioner Callahan. Thanks for this. Um, just a question about the picnic areas. Um, 
how are they defined exactly? Is it, um, I'm wondering about like, does that include a sheltered area or is it just a picnic table? Um, because I think the, the issue of uh, shelter within the parks is important. Well, we mapped so far, and we just used the picnic table as an illustration. There are also picnic shelters in some of those areas. And before we get done, we'll have an icon that shows you where those are. So um, this is the first broad brush. You can see the minute you put it out there, then it begins to raise the kind of analytical questions we want to look at. And the nice thing about it, it's easier to do it graphically than it is to do it in matrix tables. That answer your question? Yes, that does. Thank you. There is one other amenity that we will also map, indoor facilities or covered facilities. And the same thing, we want to know what the pattern of that is. Um, and that's not shown so far in any of these amenities. Commissioner Lynn. Just a quick question on, so now with these data that we uh, studied and continue to develop, so how do you feed that into these individual goals? Do we still have opportunity to say, review the goals of the individual policies and um, adding more or modifying the language? Is that? Yeah, so I would say um, just really at a high level, um, you know, we obviously will we'll update these again in the next, you know, six years, so we'll be able to adjust then if need be. But the intention of the goals and policies are also to be broad enough to encompass, um, you know, needs or things that we haven't quite thought of yet, or maybe plans that are still in their infancy. For example, the um, connectivity plan that we're starting to work on. Um, we still want to be able to encompass um, anything that we haven't thought of yet in the future. The goals are important. It's not just a wordsmithing game. Growth management access, you cannot pursue something that's not identified either in your plans or, your, or in your capital facility plan. So let's say that one of your projects is, is waterfront. And maybe on one of your maps you have a site that you're after is waterfront. But if another waterfront site comes up and it's not physically shown in your plan, you're in trouble unless your goals state that one of your objectives is to expand waterfront access wherever that opportunity arises. Then council can pursue it. But if you don't have that backed up in a goal statement, then a project comes up that's, quote, not identified in your plan, then council is stuck either modifying your plan in time to acquire property or pursue, you know, a grant, for example, if that's what you want to do. So goals are not just abstract words. I mean, they back up what you're trying to do physically. Right. That answer your question? Okay. Yes, Commissioner Morgan. Um, so on the arts one, I mean, I think it's a good thing to put it in there. What I'm wondering is, like, I liked the first part of the goal where it talks about where it adds the programs to it. I'm a little worried, truthfully, I'm not a huge fan of public art, but the collections part of it, of it not, of it being just an object. And, like, as we get into here, some of the placemaking ones, like, I feel like they come across as, like, we're providing objects, but they're, like, I'm, like all the ones here on the road, they're kind of there, but you can't really interact with them. Like, the idea of a collection is something untouchable. Like, I wonder if there's a way to craft it where, it, like, the art is more, not only is it art, but it's more functional or integrated with it. Like, you can actually use it and engage with it, as opposed to, like, collection, which is kind of a hands-off kind of thing. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I mean, we could certainly make a note of that. Um, I think, and I wish uh, Mary was here to expound on this a bit, but uh, as far as I'm aware, the city does have an art collection that it rotates around, and I think that's what this is referring to. But you're looking more towards interactive art and things that people can engage with. So the collection is more like art museum, I'm not, I'm not saying it's an art museum, but that, that kind of physical, like hanging art, is that? I'd say so, yes. Okay, as opposed to sculpture. Got that's it. my understanding. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Ramachandra, do you have anything? Uh, I was waiting to hear more from some of my <laughs> colleagues that have more technical expertise in terms of parks before I speak. But one thing probably that I might ask in terms of a goal when we talk of um, accessibility, did you get a chance to speak to public health experts on how we can achieve that goal of accessibility and public health. Um, how do we do that? How do we achieve those goals um, if we don't engage uh, the experts that deal with public health and public health issues? Uh, did, we, did you guys get a chance to do that? Um, I don't know that we engage directly with an external consultant or, you know, a health official um, in particular, but we did defer to our internal experts. So like I mentioned, SUNY Tolton, um, who is uh, quite knowledgeable in those matters. So again, yeah, it was really an internal process. Yeah, then, then the other question probably is for the director of parks, probably, um, and it has to do with uh, how, and it's a tough question because I, I, my kids played soccer and finding fields can be a challenge. And the question is, how do we share those little resources equitably? When we use the language equitably, how do you really share it? Uh, it tended to be that the teams that had stronger select teams had like first dibs. So now how do you make that equitable? So That's a really good point, and I think Nick could probably answer that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, thank you for that question, and it's something we struggle with. Um, as far as accessibility, one thing we are doing, so we have money set aside to do a, do an assessment on accessibility. Um, we haven't we meant to do that. Uh, we haven't gotten to it as quickly as we'd like to, but we, we are in the process of putting together a project to do that. Um, the challenges you described, who gets dibs, that, that, that's a constant challenge, and we need to address that, and that's part of the pros of plan and doing that equitably. So um, to be blunt, just because you're the all-star team doesn't mean you always get the best time on the best field. Um, and we really want to address that and make things equitably um, available to all citizens of Shoreline. Yeah, so thank you for that because it's really tough. I'm just being honest. It's not something easy and uh, and sometimes it's easy to mistake that as being uh, racist if you are maybe a small team that is uh, coming from a, uh, an area that we kind of looked at and said that demographically probably your income is low, probably English is a second language, and you have a tiny little team. And if you can't get a, uh, allocated space on a play field to, for your own team, it might be a challenge. But I saw um, 
where the city of Marysville did something really very interesting. They actually sponsored teams that were foreign to make sure that those kids and the children had something to do as opposed to being stuck in their homes doing nothing. So I think probably partnering, maybe getting some of those ideas in terms of implementing those goals or in terms of uh, really making these goals and uh, policies um, uh, 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 operational, it's really, really talking to city council to see if they can sponsor some of that. Uh, you, we all benefit when you do that. Then the other that I was going to suggest is um, really sharing and making sure that the play fields have lighting. One of the things that we saw that you have all those play fields, but they have lighting, and that could be a challenge when it is that you could use that field. Uh, winter time, can you use the field? Uh, you'll find uh, if they have lighting, just, just one, that one thing can make a big difference. And then creativity and then encouraging creativity. We talked, I heard you talk of schools and how some schools have a challenge in sharing their fields but I also know that those same fields are accessible to the neighborhoods. I've seen uh, people walk around and play in the play fields at Showwood High School and, and Shawcrest. I've seen people use that, run up, go to Hamlin Park. So it's really uh, working with the communities and understanding that those schools are a facility within those communities and uh, how do we share those resources and keep them safe I think the biggest thing that schools have a concern is safety. Um, as an individual, I know one of the biggest things that was a huge challenge was finding needles on play fields. And I don't think that that has changed. Uh, it's really sad if you find parents lining up uh, to clean up play fields. Uh, so mine is uh, how do we partner with schools to make sure that those fields are safe when the kids come back to school on Monday or when we use those fields, how do we maintain that safety? It's really being creative in our thought process. Even when we talk of accessibility, we need to think of it that way and look at things straight in the eye and uh, call it what it is. Yeah. So that's my comment. So thank you for that. Can I just add that I, I think those are really great points and you know, while the comp plan goals and policies remain kind of broad, that's the kind of thing that we can call out in a strategic action initiative in the plan because those are more specific. Different cities and school districts have had different cooperative agreements. Uh, probably the one I'm most familiar with is Bellevue. And so the um, Bellevue Parks Department and the school district did some joint development agreements. And basically the, the biggest improvements they made were going into the elementary schools and making those fields safe for younger kids to do practice and play. But a lot of their schools were designed in the 60s and 70s, so the fields are very visible from the road. They weren't, you know, sequestered behind buildings or, or in unsafe kind of physical environments. With COVID and with some of the with uh, mass shootings and so on, some of the school districts become a lot more leery about allowing after-hour use. And so I think that's something that's going to have to gradually transition, and it may be something between you and, and North Shore School District to work out. So we do have a we do have a joint use agreement with the school district. You know, it's kind of limited. I, I appreciate the the input, and certainly we should look at trying to expand that. Um, 
field space is field space and there's never enough, yeah, that, that is difficult. Um, um, the, other, the other thing you mentioned was outreach. So the, the thing that's been difficult for us, which I would appreciate, and I'd appreciate input on how we could do this, is actually target those underrepresented communities that, that you know, don't raise their hand and don't always get their opinion in. Um, we really strive to do that um, and not as successfully as we would like to. So I, I appreciate your comments there. And um, how, you know, how do we out actively outreach? It's been challenging for us to be totally blunt and honest. So. Thank you. Yes, Commissioner Brinson. This might be a question for Andrew, but on that outreach question, how much coordinate, I, like I, words, coordination between sort of what's happened generally with the comp plan outreach and the work for the Proza plan, have those been aligned? Overlapping. I feel like the last time we were here, we talked a lot about ways to outreach. And so I'm just wondering about that connection point. Yeah, we worked uh, in tandem with the PROSA team to procure uh, and bring on board Stefferson and Associates, which is the consultant that we've been working with. So uh, it's the same team or, uh, yeah, same consultant team that's been working with the PROSA folks on engagement and that led right into the comp plan engagement. So I'm remembering now. Yeah, and yeah, that's going back uh, last fall. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, so that was sort of our approach all along. Uh, we, uh, it's been like a year now since we kind of mapped that approach out, and Got so it. there's been some lessons learned along the way. And uh, but you know, having the continuity of the engagement team there to kind of build on the some of the earlier work that they did with the pros update. We're taking those lessons learned and applying them to the comp plan update. Okay. I have one other question. Yes, please. Um, on one of the goals that was several slides earlier than the one on the screen, uh, the language was something about utilizing an equity-based framework. That one. Mm -hmm. um, can you all talk a little bit about that? Is that framework in place or developed? And can you talk about it a little bit or the process to Utilize makes me think it is developed, but if it's not yet, sort of thinking through that piece. So, um, well, I don't know, Tom, if you want to take a step at that. Part of that equity base is taking a look at those composites, where we map them, we call them community needs, but in some cases, some cities are calling them the equity-based maps mm -hmm. to make sure that the amenities are distributed equally, and in some cases that they reflect a little bit more of what might be the culturally different areas that they're involved in. And I would mention that uh, one of the things that Stefferson Associates did was an online survey. We got a, a significant volume in that. And we then uh, separated white from non-white to see if there are any differences based on just that that uh, definition. and we only group non-white because some of the percentages in, in the racial groups and ethnic groups are very small. 85% of the time they coincided exactly. But the other 15% were significant enough that we wanted to look at those policies as well as seeing generally where things are located. Okay. Uh, I just have um, questions or comments, a couple. Um, first of all, in uh, the updated or the proposed goals and policies under goal number one 
1.3, uh, it says plan for acquisition and development of land with defined metrics to meet the needs. Can you? So that's referring directly to our uh, maps and our equity maps. So kind of what I was speaking to earlier about using that framework to make these decisions. So the metrics are referring to, um, you know, all those categories that we were showing you earlier. Great, okay. And then um, another, uh, in any of your mapping or in any of these categories, um, my concern or my question is, uh, what about uh, public restrooms in, in all of our park spaces or playground areas or um, One of the amenity maps is restrooms. Mm -hmm. And we did a walkability of restrooms and that scored highest of all the amenities. <laughs> so you could walk to a bathroom anywhere in the city equally. But that doesn't mean they're all in the same quality or that they're the same condition. So that's the other issue. Right, yeah, and that, that goes back to some public health and safety issues. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, I'll mention too that we are adding several new restroom facilities as part of the uh, Parks Bond measure as well, yeah. so. Good, good. Um, and finally, um, just, I, I like murals. So I think part of the art needs to be murals. <laughs> Put my two cents in on that. Duly noted. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Interactive and murals. Exactly. One of the challenges or one of the opportunities in the art side, if you've been to Seattle's Lake Union District, a lot of the newer buildings have art incorporated into the buildings. That's private art. It's a, it's a requirement of development. It doesn't belong to the city, but it certainly expands and enhances the art environment that you're dealing with. And I didn't say all of it was good art, <laughs> but it is an attempt at it anyway. Art is very interpretive, and I don't understand it. <laughs> Commissioner Vice Jerome Mashamji. Talking of art, um, I was going to also suggest some really good art that uh, I saw where we talked of uh, placement, uh, where you work with the communities for art placement, uh, where you do the art on, on, within the intersections in lieu of traffic circles. And uh, one thing that is cool about that, you work with the communities, they, you, you design it for them, they do the painting, or they design it and you provide the paint, and they do it. And the interesting thing is that it slows down traffic as good as it would a traffic circle. And then people don't kind of fidget to know which direction am I to turn. Is it here that I need to make a left or do I go around? So you still turn the way you turn, but just because of the colors, you actually do slow down. And the community gets to own it. The only difference is you provide the paint. From a maintenance perspective, I think that's a win-win. Because all when it gets, when it fades, you bring back the community to paint it. So public art about that. One of the new park definitions we're thinking about is uh, gathering places, particularly in the higher density areas. And those would be places where activities can occur. And art demonstrations or theater demonstrations or even art that's changing uh, is one thing that we're focused on as a more urban park, a different kind of park, different kind of experience. And that would fit your definition perfectly. Yes, Commissioner Lim. <laughs> um, 
in one of the goals is um, try to explore the opportunity to uh, for increasing the usage of our existing facility. I I'm very happy to see that uh, listed in there because um, what I see is that will allow city continue to uh, maintain and look at existing, how to maximize or optimize the existing uh, facility or maintain it well uh, to increase the, let's say, the possibility of use. Um, uh, for example, uh, that say if a, a play field is too wet, um, even if it's not in the heavy rain season, and sometimes it's due to the, the soil condition that it has bad drainage. And if uh, there is not enough funding to uh, maintain, like using uh, maintenance to fix that problem, then that basically, yes, you have the field. The, the reason that uh, you don't get many booking or scheduling for games on that field is because the team feels that it's too wet to play at times, uh, or uh, it's, uh, it's not a, a good playing condition, then they probably will not or will schedule that field less. Um, so what I'm, I, what I want to know is, um, uh, do we, uh, the city, look at how, how much, and like, is there statistic or analysis on that data, um, how much we can optimize through maintenance or through this type of uh, increase of regular maintenance to increase our usage. I know um, the, um, uh, let's say the equity, uh, equitable uh, reach, outreach, and uh, uh, that, that piece is very important. And that piece, again, that piece also needs increase of funding and um, I would say that uh, looking at all possibilities, uh, increase maybe from the maintenance side, uh, upkeeping of our existing facility to uh, provide uh, more possibilities, that itself uh, increase the opportunity to schedule more programs or more games and that may in turn allow uh, more uh, underserved um, um, neighborhood to be able to, you know, easier to schedule. But I, I know, uh, like Nick just mentioned, that that city is really having difficulties uh, reaching out that uh, population. Do and so. I just don't know if uh, there is something in play that if our city did not or did not have enough like uh, capacity, like you said, some teams are so hard to get, uh, get into 
uh, schedule or schedule uh, the games. So, um, so if that is a possibility to increase the possibility for them to to uh, come in to play, maybe that is a help. There are three ways you can increase capacity. Yeah. Lighting is one, and areas that are suitable for lighting. Synthetic turf is another. Right. Um, although one of, the, one of the issues with synthetic turf is what do you practice on versus what do you play on. If you practice on grass and you play on synthetic turf, that's an entirely different experience. requires different shoes. And the last is to look at how you schedule and make things available. And if you want to increase capacity, you reduce the number of practice sessions or you reduce the amount of time they have for practice sessions or reduce the amount of time they have for games. And then you have more of a lottery kind of uh, distribution system where everybody has the same opportunity. Now, you've got to be careful because if you decrease them too much, then they're just not viable. But what usually happens, if we find at any rate, is you can do a lot more in a lot less time if you've done those other two, lighting and synthetic. Now, so, making them available to everybody in the population, that's, that's a different question. Right. So, so do, so do we have that? Yeah, I, mean, I just want to add to that a little bit. Um, so as part of the bond project, uh, one of the things we were, were going to do is uh, Shoreview. We were going to do the field work there, and COVID hit, and we had budget implications, and that kind of was a big piece of that that got cut out of the project. Um, that field is still usable. It's not ideal conditions like you're talking about, mm -hmm. um, but it is usable. Other things we're doing, for instance, Hillwood, that, that field could be in better condition there. Um, we're designing, we have a bond project there, we're designing in such a way that we can come in in the future when there's hopefully more funding available and, and make those improvements and then schedule that more. Um, so yes, we certainly consider that. Um, there's conflicting priorities and only so much money to go around. Uh, you know, everybody knows about that, so. Yep. But, um, you know, we have the synthetic turf and we have those lit. and that, I mean, the groups, uh, they jockey for position in those <laughs> to, to get the play time. So yeah. do as much as we can. Um, I just want to add, if I may, um, improving existing facilities is something that we saw uh, quite a bit in the public engagement responses. So in our survey, we saw many people that said the same thing. And there was almost nothing on um, acquiring more open space. It was almost all on uh, improving existing facilities. So that is something that we are calling out specifically as a strategic action initiative in the next six years. So we have identified that as a need. As far as having a consultant or someone that's really analyzed this, um, maybe on a park-to-park -park basis, if I'm, if I'm kind of understanding you correctly, um, we haven't reached that point yet, but that's certainly something that we could do as part of that initiative. Commissioner Brinson. Okay. Um, on the comment about gathering spaces, I mean, I, I love that idea, especially as we are growing in density. And I'm thinking about two things. One is shade. I think when we think about, you know, like we have density along 99, we have the, the park along 99, but it is blazing sun all of the time. So whether tree shade or manufactured shade in the sense of, you know, building what would I call that, Chris? <laughs> Shade structures, <laughs> not an architect. Um, that's one of the things I'm thinking about. And then sort of 
really engaging folks as we're designing any of those gathering spaces. I am thinking of one in particular in our neighbor to the south that was designed and is never used for really the exact reason I just flagged. It is blazing sun on a concrete structure. And so thinking about how people are going to use it is a really important piece there rather than just having it. So I'm sure you all are thinking about it, but wanted to say it out loud. Noted that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, the bond project, I keep going on that. And, and yes, these things we've heard and we're doing it. We're adding picnic shelters, gathering spots, gathering spots uh, for teenagers, uh, you know, to serve different age groups. And certainly we're going to great pains to not take out any trees and add as many as we can. We really are. I guess shade structures are also rain protection. It didn't occur to me because it's so hot outside. <laughs> I would always also add one other thing. They're called left brain and right brain. Left brain people do the surveys, they do the plans, they're involved. Right brain people have to see it. So when it's time to design something, all of a sudden you have a new audience of right brain people because they can visualize it and they have opinions. So your outreach program modifies when you get to the design stages because a good portion of the population, that's when they're really interested and when they engage. Um, I just want to add one other thing, too. I think it's relevant. Um, as we work um, with the Parks Board, um, one of the things we're, that we will include in the proposal plan is really defining park types and level of amenities um, so that moving forward, we standardize what's required for each type of park. So for example, what's in a, what, is, what defines a pocket park? What's in a pocket park? Um, is it gonna have shade? Should it have a certain amount of trees, um, you know, et cetera? So um, in that spirit, yes, we are thinking of that as well, so. Excellent. Anybody else? Uh, yes, Vice Chair Ramachandji. I just have a comment. It's just to thank the Parks Department Director. If you, I want to thank you and your teams for the work that you do. Absolutely phenomenal work for little money that you are given in your budget. So I want to say I, as a resident, not as a commissioner, as a resident, that I'm very appreciative of the hard work that your teams actually do to provide the resources that are out there. It's, it's unbelievable. Sometimes your teams put on a show when they are cleaning up the neighborhoods right on just right on so appreciate just, that and i'll share that with the staff yeah. thank you very very much here here yeah. all right anybody else last 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 chance all right uh, i'd like to thank all of you that was a wonderful presentation uh, lots to think about lot I, I love the maps um, we appreciate it and we look forward to seeing you again in october yes all right thank you Thank you. Thank you. All right, and we are moving on to unfinished business. Is there any unfinished business tonight? How about new business? Reports? Comments? Announcements? Okay. How about the agenda for their next meeting, July 20th? Oh, sorry. Um I have my hand raised. Oh, I didn't see you. 
it's okay, no problem. Um, I just have two quick things. Um, I just wanted to mention that I attended the Undoing Racism workshop on June 16th and 17th by the People's Institute, and I thought it was excellent. Um, and then I also just wanted to say congratulations and thank you to everyone who worked on the Federal RAISE grant, the 20 million to help fill the gap on our vital transportation projects. Um, I think the bicycle pedestrian bridge across I-5 is so important and um, this grant is really exciting because it fills that gap. So thanks to everyone who worked on that. Thank you, Commissioner Callahan. Again, my apologies. Uh, yes, uh, now agenda for the next meeting. Yeah, so at the July 20th meeting, we'll have the public hearing for the transfer of development rights, development code amendments. Okay. Thank you. All right, anything, any last words? All right, then we are adjourned. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>